Hello, welcome back. This is Brad. And Roger. And we're here with Cats and Kids. And today we're going to talk about things you can do that first week of school or that first week of a new term on building relationships with your students. Yeah, th this is one of the one of the things in life, I think, that it's easy to say, well, I want a good relationship, etc. Uh, so kids can feel safe, so they feel open, so they want to be engaged. But just saying that, how do you how do you get that done? Uh, that is the hard part. If you visit another teacher's classroom, if you have that opportunity, if you stop in, you can you can tell when a teacher has that openness, when a teacher has established those relationships. But but the techniques on how to get there and the hands-on things that you can use are difficult. We don't have all the answers, and that's kind of why we've created this podcast and been hoping for you to give us feedback either in writing or in messages to let us know what are some things that you do to build relationships and create that trusting environment in your room. You all know that Part of the point of doing that is if we can foster these connections, we can get more out of our students and it may help us curtail our lessons to apply to the students and their interests. It's easier to teach content and see growth when you're talking their language and in their interest areas. In a previous broadcast, we talked about a half sheet of paper to kind of get to know uh, the the kids and in that podcast we talked a little bit about how important it is for the students to get to know the teacher that they're not this big bad person in front of a desk and that brings me to another point the I think the location of where you teach is important I think moving around the classroom if possible is uh, is very important so the kid gets to feel you walk up and down the rows if you have rows uh, so that they have access to you as a as a person and not as some kind of judge on a on a platform or a stage i'm glad you brought that up roger because there's sometimes where even as a teacher sitting in meetings um i feel like the people in front doing the presentation um, just because of the physical dynamic between the stander and the sitter that that sometimes you feel either maybe inferior or that you're being talked down to. So one of the things that we've talked about in our talks, just you and I, Roger, is moving around but also getting down to their eye level. Sometimes when you're explaining things to a student or a couple students, you go over and you might stand beside them or alongside them. But one thing that seems to be effective is squatting or kneeling down next to them so you're more at their eye level. Yeah, I, I, I think that's important to, to take away the sage on the stage, if you will, particularly with uh, middle school and, and high school students who, who may, may not act like they're intimidated but uh, act out sometimes when they are, and and this takes takes that a takes that away. How about humor in in the classroom, Brad? What's your thoughts on that? Well, 
I think humor can be good if it's um, positive and doesn't come at the expense of somebody. Except sometimes, if it's at the expense of the teacher, it it um, it may have an effect on the students to bring them back and engage. I would say one part about humor is that if you know your students and their interests, it's easier to kind of create that humor and use that humor as a connection piece as opposed to dumb dad jokes or right. uh, Mr. Will, my math teacher, used to call them corny teacher jokes. And, and he used them and how did you feel about them? When he used them, um, they made sense and kind of cut the tension when it was harder, but he knew us. And, and there should be some connection to the lesson in some way. As a, as a former, as an English teacher, almost everything applies to kids and to life, whether it's a story you're reading, whether it's Shakespeare. And Shakespeare uses a lot of humor. And then asking the kids about, well, in like a pun that Shakespeare might use, what's something <laughs> punny? that you might be able to say, or, or what do you know about puns, or, or, or give an example of, uh, of, of puns in, uh, in real life? Um, one thing that I did this week to kind of capitalize on life and how that works with math is we had our students fill out a form, a slideshow. We created a template and it asked them to put a recent picture on the slideshow, um, favorite movie, favorite food, an interesting fact about them, a favorite quote if they had one. And in doing that, when we went to doing the presentations, and we had the kids just talk it through from their desks. Um, some kids were a little nervous, and they appointed a friend or the teacher to talk through it. But here's what we did. As we went through and listened to the students, we found that a few of our students liked steak. And it came up naturally, well, do you rather have your steak at home? Who cooks it well? Or do you go out someplace that you like it? And there were some organic conversations. Well, like I said, um, I teach math. And so we paused. Um, and detracted for a minute and talked about why it was important for us to get these interest information, this interest information. So when we talk about some of these abstract ideas, if we know their interest, we might be able to relate some of the skills in math back to those interests to get them to buy in. It's not an everyday thing. It might not apply to every kid, but overall, we're more effective when we can occasionally tap into each kid as an individual. Yeah, good point. I think it was Burger King, who many years ago, you, you may know this, but uh, who wanted to usurp, get the business from uh, McDonald's. And they said, we, we give you a third pounder for the same price at, as McDonald's quarter pounder. Well, it was a flop because most people didn't know that a third pounder was bigger than a quarter pounder. So the whole advertising campaign lost. Bringing something like that in your discussion with steak or food is like, 
how stupid can people be that don't know that? Even though a student may not know it, you then can put it on the board where a third is bigger than a quarter. A very young baby person. Uh, I found a lot of success in having a particular blanket. And when you hold the cat, and holding the cat is important, and petting the cat, but have them on this blanket. And I've got baby now, and we've talked about baby, who still wants her blanket as she did the same blanket when we got her eight, nine years ago, because it uh, it's a calming influence. And you and I have all seen toddlers. We've seen toddlers who carry around a certain blanket. I remember uh, my ex-wife with our with our daughter Emma. Um, uh, she uh, she wanted to carry around this whole big blanket, but finally my wife just cut a square out of it. And that was good enough. So with cats, uh, I think, you know, you can't use a half sheet of paper because their interests are basically sleeping, sleeping, sleeping. But I, I think that holding them and having them cuddle in a particular blanket is a big part of it. And that's kind of like setting up a classroom environment. So if you have ideas on how to set up uh, classroom relationships please let us know in the comments below or feel free to message us on Facebook. Have a good day. Yep.